long story short, recognize that pelvic health is really a conversation that needs to be throughout our life. Uh, ideally, we should be learning about it a lot sooner so that we understand that we as women and people with uteruses, we we go through significant changes that really strongly influence our pelvic floor and we deserve more information than just do your kegels. Hi, I'm Leslie Abraham, a pre and postnatal expert, DO, and exercise specialist with over 11 years of international experience. I am now the founder of Bonjour Baby, a birth prep and postpartum recovery online program. I help new moms just like you preparing for birth and recover after so that you can be ready for the biggest day of your life, push with confidence and feel like you're all self again in your new mom's body. So if you have questions on how to stay healthy during your pregnancy, prepping your body for birth, preventing diastasis recti or the best way to support your postpartum recovery, this podcast is for you. I created this show to give you simple and scientifically proven tips and insights on pregnancy, birth prep, recovery and motherhood, and give you the answers and knowledge you deserve. So if you are currently pregnant, a brand new mom, or a mom of four already, looking for feeling better in your body and more confident in your mom life, you are at the right place. So tune in, grab your favorite cup of tea, settle comfortably, and let's get this episode started. Welcome back to the Bonjour Baby podcast and to episode 68. Today, Kim Vopni, also known as the Virginia Coach, is coming to the show to talk about midlife, hormone, and pelvic health, a topic that is not talked about enough, unfortunately, and for which we don't receive education in our 30s and 40s. And that's exactly what it should be. We should be informed and we ought to know in advance how we can care better for our feminine health as we age and reach new milestones in our women's lives. Kim is a powerhouse of information, so listen very carefully because she is sharing a lot of wisdom bits in this episode. Kim Vopney is a self-professed Kegel maven. She is a certified fitness professional who became passionate about spreading information on pelvic health after the birth of her first child. She's an author, a passionate speaker, and a women's health educator. Her more recent book, Your Pelvic Floor, launched in March 2020 and was on the bestseller list since pre-orders launched in January. Kim is also the founder of Pelvian Wellness Inc., a company offering pelvic health programs, products, and coaching for women in pregnancy, motherhood, and menopause. Kim also certifies other fitness and movement professionals to work with women with core and pelvic floor challenges through her Core Confidence Specialist Certification and pre postnatal Fitness Specialist Certification. In this episode, Kim and I talked about perimenopause and its early signs, what signs to look for and how you can recognize its onset, pelvic floor health during midlife and the most common symptoms and dysfunction we can encounter, some natural remedies, nutrition and lifestyle tips to support a better health during this hormonal transition, we also talked about prolapse and hysterectomy and other alternatives to help with prolapse reduction without invasive surgery. 
But before we dive in, have you shared the Bonjour Baby podcast with any other moms yet? You know, like your mom's friends or the ladies in your mom Facebook group or in your baby and me meeting group. I would be so grateful if you could just take a minute and share this episode with someone that you know and who will find it valuable to their very own journey. Again, I would be so grateful. All you have to do is go to the app or podcast listening platform you're using, click on the share button icon and send it on over. Thank you so much in advance. And if you want even more support, more free tips, training, recovery exercises, and nutrition advice, join my free Facebook group, Natural Diastasis Recti in Postpartum Healing, the Bonjour Baby Club. You will find a library of past training and a whole weekly free recovery sessions. It's only one click away, and you will finally get all the information you have been looking for so long from a trusted perinatal expert. If you are listening to this podcast and also speak French, know that starting from now, I am also offering a free Facebook group with content in French only. Perfect for you if you prefer to consume content in your native language. Find the link in bio to join the fun in French. All right, let's dive into our episode with Kim Vopny. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today and really looking forward to today's topic, midlife and hormonal health. So <laughs> many questions and so many things to say. But before we dive into this episode, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit more about yourself? Mm -hmm. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. I'm really excited about the talk as well. Um, so when I, when I started in my line of work, I midlife menopause was not even something on my radar, wasn't even a consideration. I started working with pregnant women. And my goal at the time was to introduce the concept of pelvic health to women in pregnancy, because I recognized that it was a time when a lot of pelvic health challenges begin and not a lot of information is shared. So I think we have such even still now, a missed opportunity to educate people about the pelvic floor in pregnancy yeah. to, to help prevent. So that's where I started. And then I started to recognize that there was also a void in postpartum recovery. And that was a, a part of the whole pregnancy motherhood journey that was also overlooked. So then I, I formed a second business with two other women. We were focusing on postpartum recovery, optimizing the conversation there, returning to fitness, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, years go by and I, I'm now myself, I'm actually now close to, to menopause, but I um, started to learn about perimenopause. And so that became a whole other new education for me. Something, again, a word I had never known about. I'd heard of menopause, but I hadn't heard the term mm -hmm. perimenopause. So I was learning about that. And long story short, recognize that pelvic health is really a conversation that needs to be throughout our life. Uh, mm -hmm. Ideally, we should be learning about it a lot sooner so that we understand that we as women and people with uteruses, we, we go through significant changes that really strongly influence our pelvic floor. And we deserve more information than just do your Kegels. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how it started back when I was pregnant and I had a fear of pregnancy. I had a fear of childbirth really of tearing and of incontinence. Uh, after I gave birth, I did I didn't have postpartum incontinence right away. I did a little bit later on. And then eventually, several years later, I had organ prolapse, which is also mm -hmm. another term I had never heard before. And it's actually more common than incontinence. We may hear about incontinence more often, but prolapse is something that that needs to be talked about more. So it's kind of a combination, really, of uh, I saw a void. It was 
my own story as well. And, and, and it continues to be my, my journey. So, um, so that's, that's how it started and that's how it's going. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good uh, summary because I know you have, uh, I mean, uh, a really nice career and you've done so much for, for, you know, pelvic floor health and, and, and women's health. So that's, uh, that's, I, I love meeting women like you. So that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, okay. So you mentioned perimenopause. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. Um, and in, you're right when you say that not so many women have heard about that, which is Mm -hmm. always, you know, intriguing to me. Um, but because I have that medical background, so it's a bit different, Mm -hmm. but, uh, there is so much that we don't know about our bodies anyway. And as you said, from the very beginning, we are not, out um, myriad of things that we should know about uh, our body. So let's dive into perimenopause. And and I'm very happy to be able to talk um, with you about that because that's not something I talk too much um, about on the podcast. But I know that we better be prepared um, because the more aware we are about these upcoming changes in our life, as you said, uh, same thing with pregnancy, the more we can be proactive and support this transition. So about perimenopause, what are some of the early signs that one can pay attention to and recognize? Mm -hmm. So perimenopause is, you know, many consider the six to 10 years-ish prior to menopause. And menopause is actually, it's it's really actually one day. So menopause is 12 consecutive months, <clears throat> excuse me, without a period. So that marks your, your day of menopause. Mm-hmm. The six to 10 years leading up to that day would be considered perimenopause. There are different schools of thought with regards to once you've hit that one day, some people are using the term post-menopause. Some people are still just saying, well, now you're in menopause. So that's still a little bit confusing or up in the air, I guess. But perimenopause is is the years leading up to the cessation of your periods. And some of the more common, there's lots of different things that can happen during that time. Uh, Some are pelvic health related, some are mood related, some are digestion related, some are heart, like brain, all sorts of different things. And while we are going through this, it could also be a time when we are in postpartum recovery. So women are now, some are giving birth a little bit later, which means we're we're closer to that perimenopause. So we might also be dealing with those two things at the mm-hmm. same time, which is, you, you don't even really consider that that could be that, right? So yeah. some of the more common things would be a shift in hormones. So we have, uh, ideally, we have this optimal balance between progesterone and estrogen. Like we have lots of different hormones in our body, but those would be two predominant ones. Mm -hmm. And they start to, the ratio starts to be, maybe become a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And that can trigger things like constipation that could trigger things like uh, gut issues. It could trigger poor sleep. It could trigger mood. Um, A lot of people talk about feeling like they just, and I, I remember this myself actually, um, almost not that I had an anger management, but all of a sudden I would have these outbursts just out of nowhere. Um, Mm. And so people are saying that's very out of character for them. They start to maybe have uh, cognitive things. They they can't remember. They have brain fog. They lack motivation. Testosterone is another Mm. hormone that we need to consider in there as well, which can also become a little bit depleted in some, uh, some people. So there's a lot that is tied around the hormones. Mm -hmm. It's also a time of 
for many people, a time of a lot of stressors. And you, many people may have heard the term sandwich generation, where mm-hmm. we are raising potentially our own family. We are, many of us working, whether it's self-employed or working for somebody else, but in a, in a career of some sort, managing potentially a relationship, so potentially married or common law or what have you. And then we have aging parents that we are also potentially managing. So there's a lot that we have on our plate mm-hmm. that can create a lot of stress and stress can then contribute to increases in cortisol. And then we've, we have insulin resistant um, issues that can create the, the, the weight gain that a lot of people deal with. That's also very common during that time. Uh, from a pelvic health perspective, I mentioned constipation and constipation is something that can be a really uh, negative influence to the pelvic floor. Yeah. Uh, it could also be a pelvic floor challenge. So sometimes constipation is not because of your hormones or any mm-hmm. other thing. Sometimes it's because of tight pelvic floor muscles. So it can, it can be one or the other. There may also then be things like urinary incontinence, vaginal dryness, pelvic organ prolapse. And those are things that it's not perimenopause that necessarily brings them on. Sometimes they may have happened or be kind of whispering before then. Mm-hmm. But then when we start to have the hormonal fluctuations and all the other things, maybe those whispers start to become a little bit louder and they maybe mm-hmm. start screaming at us. Or it might be the time of life when some of those things start to show up for the first yeah. time. So those I'd say would be the like poor sleep, um, brain fog, um, lack of motivation, and pelvic health struggles and sort of that hormone, like very heavy periods. Sorry, I forgot to manage that. Very heavy periods or fluctuations in periods is also very, very common. Um, So I would say those would be the most, most prevalent. Yeah, definitely. And so as we 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 continue to kind of uh, go through that perimenopause uh, period, so we arrive close to menopause or we are at menopause, do we have any kind of shift in the symptoms? Do we have like any uh, pelvic floor health issues that can arise? So we mentioned dryness. Um, I know for menopause, that's really something that some women are struggling with. Mm-hmm. So are there any kind of uh, other dysfunction? when it comes to really pelvic floor health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, 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 view, I view perimenopause, menopause kind of like I do pregnancy, postpartum almost. Yeah. It's, it's a transition that we go through. And my aim back when I started my business was to introduce this information and education either before pregnancy or while the person was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So they're prepared. So they understand how to navigate that time, how to prepare their pelvic floor, how to recover more optimally. And I think we have that same opportunity here with perimenopause and, and menopause. If we can start this conversation and provide the education so that people understand what's happening and they know different avenues to pursue to get help. Specifically with the pelvic floor, I, I, I'm a preacher of of pelvic health. I'm a preacher of pelvic floor physical therapy. I think that it's something that women and and people with uterus would benefit from seeing one every single year. Uh, I think just like we see the dentist once a year for our oral health and we go, even if we don't have any toothache, I think we would benefit from that same practice with our pelvic health. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I, I preach. And part of the reason is because we can then be in a position of power. We, we would recognize or our, our therapist could help us identify challenges before they become major, major issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
that the things in perimenopause I mentioned were incontinence. So there's different types of incontinence. There's stress urinary incontinence. That's where little bits of urine would leak out throughout the day with some sort of exertion, like a laugh or a jump or a cough. There's urge incontinence, which is where we can, you know, we're going about our day and then all of a sudden something triggers us and our bladder all of a sudden yells and we just have to get to the bathroom right away. You can have a, a mixture, a mixed incontinence, which would be two of those together. You can also have anal incontinence. Mm-hmm. And incontinence is a combination of timing and sort of response strength, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And we need the muscles to react in time. And we also need them to react with enough force to close off the opening so that urine doesn't leak out. Mm-hmm. And the most common thing is Kegel exercises. Um, we'll come back to that in a moment, but that's the incontinence piece. We then also have organ prolapse and that's where the bladder, the uterus and or the rectum start to shift out of their optimal position. They start to descend or bulge into mm-hmm. the vagina. Early stage prolapse may be asymptomatic, but common symptoms could be low back pain, feelings of heaviness, feeling like something's inside your vagina, mm-hmm. feeling vulnerable and feeling like something's going to fall out, difficulty inserting a tampon or tampons get pushed out, um, feeling a bulge or seeing a bulge either, you know, partway up or right at the entrance to the vagina. Some In extreme cases, it would be right outside the vagina, the bulge. And uh, so prolapse is more common statistically than incontinence. It's something that I would say there's a stronger mental health component to as well. It, it becomes quite devastating to people who receive that diagnosis and people feel very resentful of the fact that no one had told them about this prior. Um, and both of those conditions, so incontinence and prolapse, can be exacerbated by the transition that's happening as we're going through perimenopause and as we approach menopause. And that can be partly from the heavy bleeding, so the 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 change, the, the heaviness of our uterus because of mm-hmm. the the blood, the um, changes to hormones during bleeding, the um, the dryness also that can happen. So when we no longer have as much estrogen circulating around the tissues in our surrounding the bladder, the tissues in the walls of the vagina are very, they love estrogen. Mm -hmm. And when we no longer have it circulating, they now don't have what keeps them sort of moist and supple and juicy, so to speak. So what Mm -hmm. happens is the tissues start to thin, the walls of the vagina start to narrow. There's discomfort, sometimes even just with movement or with certain types of clothing. Sometimes that discomfort is experienced during insertive sex. Um, so those would be the most common, I would say. So there's a, a kind of a, a bunch of different things that c- fall under the title of genitourinary syndrome of menopause. There used to be a term called vaginal atrophy. Mm-hmm. And atrophy is not the, the, the greatest word in the world. And so, and there was also, again, there was several different things that all pertained to the pelvis. So there, so the term genital urinary syndrome of menopause, GSM is now used. I like it to an extent. It also, it doesn't necessarily, it kind of lumps a bunch of things into one place, which Mm -hmm. the treatment is not always the same. So I, I think that maybe we could benefit from some different terms, but at least it's pointing in the direction of the pelvis and um, and then the important thing to know is none of what I've talked about is 
something we need to accept as normal. It's nothing that we need to um, think that it's just because we're a woman or just because we're in menopause or just because we've given birth. It's never too late to overcome those. And there are so many options for people who might be experiencing them and also options for people who are looking to prevent those things from happening. Yeah, thank you for saying that uh, because I'm always, uh, you know, saying the same thing as well. And that's really funny because so everything that you are talking about made me think about um, um, a commercial that I that I see that is happening in France right now uh, for pads, and it's it's really uh, marketed for women who have uh, incontinence, mm -hmm. and so. <laughs> during the commercial you know so it shows a group of women laughing and so kind of like we have our little flows uh kind of you know because mm -hmm. we 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 are leaking and so accepting that as normal and laughing about it because this is so funny to kind mm -hmm. of pee yourself and I was really you know watching this commercial and I was like what who did that, you know? Yeah. And I was ashamed because it, it just, you know, ingrained in our brain that this is normal and we can just laugh about it. And this is happening because we are women. And I mean, I, it, it's so wrong <laughs> to yes, me. To, I, to I totally agree. That. We have the same, there's a commercial here right now um, that is a, it, it's a woman, a woman entrepreneur at home. And they're talking about how, you know, she's, working at home and she can still pick up her child. So even when she has to drop off her child at school, she still might have a little drop off from the bladder. And I'm thinking, okay. And no, and then, and then they say she has, you know, the pad in, in her pants. And I just yeah. think, uh, yeah, they can be, pads can be a temporary, they can play a temporary yeah. role. Ideally they can help while we are seeking treatment, but none of those commercials say anything about that. It's a problem that can be overcome, that it's, that, we could seek treatment, who we could seek treatment from. And of mm -hmm. course, that's not in their best interest. They want people no. to buy the pads. So, right. So it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but the more, you know, your podcast, the more we mm -hmm. have people talking about it, hopefully people will recognize that it's not something that they need to accept. And there's people, they, they can spend over a lifetime, 20 to $50,000 on pads. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. It is. And it's not reimbursed in any ways. I mean, I mean, not here. So <laughs> no, no, <laughs> maybe no, in no. some countries, but I'm not aware of it. <laughs> no, not here All right. So um, let, let's move on to some maybe natural remedies that we can talk about. Because when it comes to hormonal health, and especially in this transition of time, there are different ways to, to, to support this and to make this easier and less painful and with less symptoms, as we just said. So mm -hmm. how can women support this transition and their hormonal health with natural remedies like mm -hmm. nutrition, lifestyle modification? So can you talk about that, Kim? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll start with the, the term Kegel. Most people have probably heard the term Kegel or Kegel at some point in their life. And Kegels are, are a form of pelvic floor exercise. And we have evidence to support that they work. And the gold standard for a Kegel is three sets of 10, 10 second holds done three times a day. And most of it is done for incontinence. There's starting to be some to, for prolapse as well. But the challenge with Kegels is we've, most of us have heard the term, but, and, and we've probably heard it maybe from a healthcare provider, or we've heard mm -hmm. it that we're supposed to do Kegels while we're pregnant. But very few people have ever been taught or have ever had their pelvic floor assessed 
to determine if that exercise is appropriate for them or Mm -hmm. to ensure that they are doing it correctly, um, what part of the Kegel they should focus on, because it's not just a squeeze. Most people interpret it as just a squeeze. So it becomes a blanket cure-all, which it's not. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it can work, but not for everybody. And again, we need to ensure that the person is doing them correctly. We have research to show that most over 50% of people do them incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist is always my number one, always my number one recommendation. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can Google pelvic floor physical therapy or physiotherapy in your city or town or wherever you are. Um, They're starting to become more and more people who are trained in that Mm -hmm. practice. There's a couple of directories. Um, different countries have physiotherapy associations that you can learn mm-hmm. from. Pelvicguru.com has a directory. So those are a few places to check for one. Um, I think that's one of the best things we can do. We can also exercise in ways that supports our pelvic health. And part of that is, is exercising in accordance to our menstrual cycle. So mm-hmm. recognizing that the hormonal fluctuations influence the the tissues, the muscles within our pelvis and higher intensity is better reserved for around ovulation. And then once, you know, the week before and as we are bleeding, that's when it becomes a little bit more of the yin, the the down, the the softening, the less intense, maybe more yoga, um, gentle Pilates, less impact. So that's another thing that we can do. And then also from, if we reflect back to Kegels, my view on Kegel exercises is, yes, if we do them correctly, we could do them, you know, three sets of 10, 10 second holds three times a day if we want to. Not very many people that I know will do that. Um, but but we can incorporate a Kegel into whole body movement. And when we do that, I feel like we are better arming our pelvic floor to respond to activities of daily living. A lot of the things like symptoms and leaks don't happen while we are sitting at every red light or brushing our teeth. They happen when we are up and moving around and lifting Mm -hmm. something or working out. So let's learn how to incorporate our pelvic floor into whole body movement. So I think that's another missing piece. Yeah. From a, um, a hormone perspective, we, one thing that is becoming, um, a lot more talked about and I've, I've been watching a lot of doctors who are now suggesting that local vaginal estrogen is something that they feel pretty much every single woman should be on for the rest of their life once they're approaching that that menopause mm-hmm. um, time. And and I personally would agree with that. Now I'm not a doctor, I'm not a hormone specialist, but this is what I have I use in my own body, and I've also been doing mm-hmm. a lot of research on a couple of books that I recommend. Um, One is called Estrogen Matters, and the other one is called The Estrogen Fix. I think those are two really very evidence-based books that help calm the fears that were created from the Women's Health Initiative um, study over 20 years ago. So those are two really powerful books, and I I am a supporter and believer that local vaginal estrogen can really, really, really help with so many of the challenges that people have with incontinence. Um, There was one statistic in in the Estrogen Fix book that suggested, it was looking at people with incontinence and it was between 65 and 70-ish percent, I believe, I forget the exact number of women in this particular study who were dealing with incontinence uh, achieved 
an improvement in their symptoms just with estrogen. So mm-hmm. I don't believe in just using estrogen. I think we need a you know a, a, a bigger toolbox there. But mm-hmm. it, it goes to show that it's it it can be really a powerful tool. So that's one thing that can help with the dryness. It can help with incontinence. For some, it can help with prolapse symptoms as well, mm-hmm. um, painful sex. So I think that's really really powerful. The other thing is. Um, um, vaginal DHEA cream. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is non-hormonal, but DHEA helps with the conversion of testosterone and estrogen. So there are certain creams, uh, available again, that can be applied to the, the labia internally, externally, that can also provide relief. Um, there are some people who may not feel comfortable with estrogen. And so these would be a couple of options. And then the other piece is, is, uh, moisturizer. Mm-hmm. We we spend an, a, a lot of money. Many women spend a lot of money on serums and creams and facial treatments to help prevent wrinkles, to help keep our face mm-hmm. supple and young looking. And one of the ingredients in a lot of what we use is hyaluronic acid. And mm-hmm. hyaluronic acid has the capacity to retain moisture as well as heal dry, irritated tissue. Mm-hmm. And when used in the vagina, it it again provides tremendous relief from dryness and irritation and painful sex. So for women who are using vaginal estrogen, most typically doctors will prescribe it every day for two weeks and then twice a week thereafter. So my, my, what I do in my, my own body is on the days that I'm not using estrogen, I use the vaginal moisturizer or my DHEA cream. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that again, it, it has changed people's lives very, very quickly with just starting to moisturize their, their vagina. And that is something they can start now. They don't have to wait until they're kind of close to that, that menopause transition. And then the final thing I'm, I'm not a, a nutritionist. I'm actually doing a, a nutrition certification, but not completed it yet. But, um, but from how we eat can also influence our gut health. It can influence our hormonal health. It can influence our elimination. So we were talking about earlier constipation. Mm -hmm. We have to pay attention to fiber. We have to pay attention to our water to stay hydrated. Um, When we eat phytoestrogen, so organic soy, Mm -hmm. um, flax seeds, red clover, those have all shown in research to help alleviate some of the menopause symptoms, Mm -hmm. including vaginal dryness. Um, So those are a couple of the things that I would, would recommend there as well. And then the final thing I guess I will say um, that I just recalled and didn't say about is pelvic floor exercise. So I talked about it with Kegels at the beginning, but mm-hmm. pelvic floor exercise helps with lubrication. It helps with blood flow and circulation, which can also help alleviate some of those symptoms of dryness and irritation as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, to, to go back to the gut health piece that you mentioned, we also know that gut health has a link on hormonal health as well. Mm-hmm. Your faculty to be able to, to have like um, a bowel movement that is um, daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have this kind of nice elimination of like the, some of the estrogen for, for so the women that have like too much estrogen. That's something that we want to keep in yes. mind as well. And um, so absolutely. Absolutely, there is a link with nutrition, and we have more and more evidence of that now. It's really a field that is growing right now, uh, yeah. which is really interesting because there are so many things that we are discovering, um, and, and gut health is as the starter 
of so many things in our body that uh, we should yeah. pay a lot of attention to it as well. Yeah, something that I've just I've I've learned in the last few weeks that I've become really obsessed with is part of our microbiome. So many of us have heard of the term the gut microbiome. Part mm-hmm. of the microbiome is called the estrobilome, which yeah. is the part that is responsible for the management of that estrogen. And I had never heard that term before. And now I've, again, as I said, I've become quite obsessed with looking into this and, and really fascinated because as you say, we have this, the gut is, is responsible for the elimination of excess. So if we are dealing with excess estrogen, which is very common in perimenopause, mm-hmm. we need that gut to be optimized to make sure that's happening. But specifically that one little part of the gut as well, which I thought was really, really interesting. So yeah, huge, huge component yeah. to, uh, no, to our health. Uh... I agree with you. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So now I want to talk about something that you touched on at the beginning. Um, let's talk about prolapse. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that very often the solution offered is hysterectomy as well. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there are other solutions that we can explore um, before taking such a huge step that can be, you know, also um, uh, emotionally difficult to take. I mean, it has a, a definitive toll on, on us as as, as women. So right. can you walk us through this solution? What are they and, and who to go to to seek help with that? Yeah. So um, so prolapse, again, is when the bladder, uterus, and or rectum shift out of their optimal position. And it's over 50% of women have some degree of prolapse. And many don't know it because it's often asymptomatic at early stages. I myself have experienced a stage two uterine prolapse, and I've also experienced a stage two rectocele, which is when the rectum bulges into the back wall of the vagina. I was able to reverse the uterine prolapse. I was not able to reverse the stage two rectocele. I had I lived with it symptomatically for about nine years and eventually did have surgery for that. When I was dealing with the uterine prolapse, one of the options, of course, was hysterectomy. And many people are given that option, especially people who are done 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 either aren't going to ever have kids or are finished Mm -hmm. having kids. And it's, it's presented in a way that, well, you know, you don't need your uterus anymore, so we might as well just take it out. And it sounds, it sounds lovely because sometimes those people are also dealing with very heavy periods, which I was Mm -hmm. also dealing with. And so the thought of not bleeding anymore and not having, you know, that excessive heavy bleeding all the time was, is obviously quite attractive, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what people aren't told is having a hysterectomy, the removal of the uterus, sometimes that includes removal of the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, that increases your risk of prolapse. So they may be having a hysterectomy because of prolapse and not be told that they are now at an increased risk of other types of prolapse. Mm -hmm. And so many people feel they already felt resentful and angry that nobody told them about pelvic organ prolapse. And then they have Mm -hmm. surgery for it. And then now they, they are at an increased risk. Now they feel even more resentful for it. The other piece to consider is surgical menopause. So even if you have your uterus removed and keep your ovaries, We have research to to support that within the first two years after having your uterus removed, you will go into menopause and surgical menopause. Many will describe that. And and, I mean, nobody could ever compare because you you only go through it once, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people talk about the, the, the symptoms being um, the transition being much harder to manage. Hmm. And 
and so when you when you go back to hysterectomy and prolapse, if we could introduce those people to the concepts of working with a hormonal health practitioner or a nutritionist, a pelvic floor physical therapist, a hypopressive method trainer. So hypopressives mm-hmm. is something called, um, it's a specific exercise technique. It's also called low pressure fitness. And it is really powerful for prolapse, especially bladder and uterine prolapse. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what helped me reverse my stage two. Yes, I was seeing pelvic floor physical therapy. Yes, I was doing other types of pelvic floor exercise, but it was it really was the hypopressives that made the most significant difference. And so people who I talk to who have had hysterectomies who now learn all of this information, they think, wow, what if I had been given the option of hormone replacement therapy? What if I had had my thyroid levels checked? What if I had changed my nutrition? What if I had done hypopressives? Maybe I wouldn't have had to have had a hysterectomy and now be faced with this other new prolapse, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really, really common. And, And the other thing to consider, and I'm I, ha- I don't know these studies well enough to quote them, but I do know that there are, is more recent research coming out that's talking about the cognitive piece, the brain health piece, specifically for people who um, have hysterectomies prior to reaching menopause. So mm. there's, a, there's a lot of things that need to be considered that are not communicated, I don't feel, adequately to people who are given that option of hysterectomy. So with, yeah. with prolapse, um, it can be devastating. But it, it, especially if you catch it early, and especially if it's bladder and uterine prolapse, they're, they're, the, the potential of improving or maybe even reversing them is, is, is there, absolutely. Rectoceles are a little harder to manage. I'm not going to yeah. say it's impossible to reverse. They are a little bit more tricky. Mm-hmm. But we have pessaries. So pessaries are sort of like orthotics that we would use in our shoes to support our arches. We have pessaries that can be inserted into the vagina to help the walls and to Mm -hmm. support the organs that might be displaced. Those can be life-changing for people uh, as well. Um, So there's lots of options. And I don't believe that, again, it's adequately communicated to people who may be considering hysterectomies. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, really funny that you mentioned uh, hypopressive uh, work because that's that's most of my work. I really use that uh, methodology because it works fine. And we, we have a, a big figure in uh, France um, that is really, you know, um, doing a lot of education for people like me, osteopaths or PTs to uh, teach us these kind of uh, methodologies because they are really working well uh, on a lot mm-hmm. of, um, of women. I mean, that's how I train myself. So yeah, I can say yeah, that it's it a is really working well. Technique. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much, Kim. You gave us so many tips that was really, really interesting to be able to, to, to listen to you and everything that you shared with us. So if our listeners want to connect further with you, how can they connect with you and where can they find you online? Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed our conversation. Um, my website is vaginacoach.com. And pretty much all of the social handles are at Vagina Coach. Um, so we're, go to Google and put in Vagina Coach and you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> but, um, but the easiest place is vaginacoach.com. Perfect. I would put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Kim, for coming today.
You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. And that's the end of our episode with Kim. I told you she was an absolute incredible source of information, isn't she? She also shares lots of educational content on her social media channels. So go to the show notes to find where you can connect with her and know more about her work. Before we wrap up this episode, if you are currently in the middle of your postpartum recovery journey and struggle with death as a struck type, peeing your pants when you sneeze or cough, plateauing in your weight loss journey, or simply don't know where to start to support your body's recovery and finally feel like yourself again, you can go ahead and download my free postpartum recovery guide. You will find the link in the show notes. It will give you more insights into what's happening with your body and I'm also sharing five simple exercises with videos to get you started. If you loved today's episode, please share it with a friend. Postpartum recovery calls for a lot of adjustments and sometimes we are simply missing the tools that will make us feel better just because we never heard about it. So shy away. All you have to do is go to the app or podcast listening platform you're using, click on the share button icon and send it on over. I really appreciate you taking the time to do so and this helps me support other moms like you take back control of the health and body, and embrace this new chapter of their life with confidence. Remember that for even more support, more free tips, training, recovery exercises, and nutrition advice, you can join my free Facebook group, Natural Diastasis Recti and Postpartum Healing, the Bonjour Baby Club. Find the link to do so in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening in today, and I will see you next week, same time, same place, my friend. Until next time.